Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is going on, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 99 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are joined by a very special guest. He uh, pitched in parts of 12 seasons at the big league level with the Washington Nationals, the Milwaukee Brewers, Toronto Blue Jays, and the Oakland A's from 2008 to 2019. It is Marco Estrada. Marco joins the show. Marco, how are you doing? Welcome. Good. Thanks for having me, Steven. Appreciate it. So spring training has started. That's obviously the big news right now. And players are in uniform, ready to go. And they're just about to, uh, some of them have started games already. Most of them have. Um, as a player, what was kind of spring training like for you? Was it more kind of getting the mind back into baseball after a long winter off or, you know, throwing bullpens? Tell me kind of what spring training in this time was like for you. I just, yeah, it depends on what part of my career we're talking about. But early on, it was from day one, as soon as the season's over, I didn't really rest much. It was, you know, get everything going. So by the time I showed up to spring training, I was in mid-season form, ready to go. Yeah. And the older I got, the more I realized, you know, I'm, I'm wasting too many bullets early on. And I started pushing things back uh, and basically would use spring training for all my bullpens and and get all the work done, you know. So uh, I guess having that a little bit of a veteran's uh, knowledge uh, helped me out towards the end. But, um, yeah, I just realized early on it, it was way too much work uh, too early. And, you know, you don't want to blow out halfway through the season because you were exhausted from all the work in the offseason. And but, you mm – -hmm, go ahead. No, uh, yeah, no, it was just, but, but I remember just getting ready, you know, uh, getting the phone call to show up, uh, whatever the date was, and, and you get those nerves all over again, and it was a lot of fun showing up to spring training, seeing the guys again. And at what point do you show up? Because I know some guys, like, have been in Arizona or Florida, like, for a few weeks before camp yeah. starts, so when would the process start for you to kind of start hauling everything over? Oh, man. Yeah, that was always the toughest part was flying over. You know, you've got a bunch of suitcases or if you ship your car, I always ship my car. If I was in Florida, I ship my car over and I just load it up with everything. Take, you know, enough clothes to last me about a week. <clears throat> and uh, but I, I would try to show up the day of basically. Um, I didn't want to be there any longer than I had to. And uh, I just made sure maybe a day before just to check in, get everything settled in and uh, get things going but yeah I, I wasn't one of those guys that would show up weeks before and of course there's the the shortened spring training this year did you ever feel like spring training was just way too long because i hear that a lot uh with a lot of people in the industry they just say it's way too long it drags on you know there it, it's, yeah. just, uh, it's it, it goes on too long it, it did um it was you know i i feel like spring training's meant for the starting pitchers um you know you you can only pitch every fifth day and unfortunately you have to wait five days to pitch um but we have to get our repetitions in and um i i did used to think it was a little too long maybe two weeks too long uh, i would like to show up and just you know be ready for the games and get games going that's where all your practices but you know you got to recap everything you got to go over signs you got to 
get to know everybody. So I understand why there's a few extra weeks in there. And you've been you've been out of the game now for a few years, and I, I saw a rumor a few years ago that you were trying to return to the big leagues before 2020. Do you still have the itch to come back? Uh, no, not anymore. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I had spoke to someone, and they kind of announced my retirement for me, and I, I wasn't very happy about that. Um, so I I but I was trying to I, I was kind of on the fence. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to retire yet, and um, the person I spoke with kind of took it as I'm retired and announced it for me. I don't, I don't know why he did that, but, uh, so I never really got to announce my retirement, but, um, you know, at, at the end of 2019, I thought about it. Uh, I was, I was starting to feel a little bit better since I basically took all of 19 off. Uh, and you know, once, uh, COVID hit and I, I saw the rules and, I just didn't want to go through all that again. And I still didn't feel a hundred percent. So I didn't want to show up, you know, feel good for a few weeks and then be on the, on the IL again. Um, so that, that was kind of, once I, I saw the rules for COVID, I, that's, that's what put me over the fence and just decided to hang them up. And now watching the game, of course, kind of as a, as a former player, are there any teams that you're still keeping tabs on? I'm sure you, you also have some friends in the game. Are you still watching Brewers games and Blue Jays games or maybe some of your buddies playing? Yeah, I, I actually uh, – I, I watched a lot of the, the Toronto games and a lot of the Oakland games. Um, I, I still keep in contact with a lot of those guys. So, I, you know, I, I cheer for my, my friends and people I know. It's always fun watching them. But I, I haven't watched a ton of baseball, um, but I, I enjoy it. You know, if I catch a game, I'll – especially if a buddy of mine's uh, playing, I'll, I'll definitely try to watch it. And let's get into your career a little bit. I know you were, you were born in Mexico and grew up there for the first uh, few years of your life. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, I was so young. I, I mean, I, I do remember a lot, but <clears throat> I, I just know it, it wasn't, wasn't the greatest of areas where I grew up. Um, I remember hanging out with my friends past like, once the sun went down, so who knows what time it was, but I'm thinking to myself, I couldn't have been that old, you know, five, six years old. And, uh, it was just a different lifestyle. And, uh, yeah, I don't think things would have worked out the way they did if I, if we would have stayed there. So my mom definitely made the right decision on crossing the border. And I, I read, or I saw the, the documentary that the sports, uh, the sports station in Toronto did. And, it described kind of the relationship with you and your mother and, and how you guys are close. I mean, describes, describe that relationship, especially after moving to the States and enduring some of the hardships that uh, you guys en endured there early on. Yeah. So uh, I'm an only child and uh, my mom is a single parent. So, you know, it's just us two. Um, so obviously you're going to grow up to be very close. Um, she lives at, I'm in Arizona and she lives out here now with me. We're from California, but we moved out here about 11 years ago and I finally got her out here a few years ago. Um, yeah, we, we have a very close relationship. I, I see her actually, she lived with me for the last four or five months while we were under construction with this house. Um, but now we finally moved in yesterday and, um, you know, I'll still see her every probably, at least two, three times a week. She lives two miles away. So yeah, we keep a close relationship and 
you know, she means the world to me, all the, all the struggles and, and the hard work she had to go through to just to show or let me have a, a good life means the world to me. And yeah, something I'll never forget. And growing up in, in Southern California, it's definitely a rich baseball area. I think Northern California has some rich baseball area parts. And we know about, you know, the Arizonas and the Floridas of the world. How did you kind of first get involved with baseball? Was it, was it love right off the bat or was there kind of some, some uh, initial, you know, struggles that you had there? I, I had a few family members that were playing and I would watch my grandma watched a lot of baseball. So I, I would, you know, kind of sit with her and watch some games. Um, and then one year when I was older, probably six or seven, uh, my mom just came up to me and said, Hey, listen, I, I don't want you uh, getting into trouble. So I, I, you have to pick a sport, any sport. I don't care what it is, but you're going to do something. So I said, fine, I let's try some baseball. And I didn't get to play T-ball because I was already too old for that. Uh, so it was the first year of, of, you know, kids actually pitching and they have no control. So I got hit a lot that year and I hated it. I told my mom, this is like, it's ridiculous how often I'm getting hit. Like, what's the point? So she let me take one season off and then asked me again, like, you have to do something. Um, and during that span, I played a lot of wiffle ball with my cousins. Uh, and I think I got a lot better during that span. So once she asked me again what I wanted to do, I told her, I think I'm ready for baseball again. And after that, I just fell in love and, you know, played the rest of my life. I want to ask you about pitching at a junior college, because I think that there's a, a major stigma around it. And oftentimes players feel, uh, well, there's a lot of players, first of all, that feel like they're too good to play at a junior college and for others it might be the only route they have to get to the big leagues or to get drafted and you played junior college in, in Glendale California and um, there's thousands of, of JUCO players across the country how significant are these types of schools and these types of programs to kind of develop uh, or at least in your case develop your talent oh they're very important um, obviously it's where I came from it you know it 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 shows that it is possible to make it from junior college. Um, there's been a lot of guys that have gone to junior college, transferred over to D1 program and then get drafted. Um, but, you know, in my case, I, I guess I was a late bloomer. I didn't make varsity to my senior year. So I had no other choice, but if I want to keep playing, uh, junior college was the only route to take. And I was fortunate enough to uh, go play at, at Glendale Community College. And, you know, things just kind of took off from there. But if it wasn't for junior college, I, I had no chance of going to a D1 program. Um, and I don't remember getting any even D2s or anything like that. Uh, so I, I had to go to junior college and, and thankfully they were around and, and I was able to go that route and, and things worked out. I saw a stat and it was it was an ESPN broadcast and it was Ole Miss versus uh, Auburn. And they showed a graphic and it said, draftees on MLB rosters and it said like four-year colleges 63 percent high school 30 percent and two-year college seven percent but I was thinking to myself I was like it didn't count in the amount of players that end up going to a four-year college from community college so right. definitely uh and, and I could definitely tell when a guy if I'm watching a Stanford game down here in the in the Bay Area I could tell which of those guys went to a community college there's like an aura and a grindiness about them 
yeah. I mean, it, it definitely shows. Uh, and, and there's a stretch for you where you thought your career was over right after junior college. I know you were looking to transfer into Long Beach State. And then yep. there's an issue with, with a class. What happened there? So I was told to take certain classes. I was only a few units away from being able to transfer over. Um, and I had all summer to take whatever they needed me to. So I just needed one class. I don't remember what it was. But they enrolled me into something. I took it all semester, passed it. I get back and they're like, we gave you the wrong class to take. Um, so we can't transfer you over. I couldn't believe it because it, it just seems like such a weird thing to mess up, such a small thing. Um, and I probably should have done a better job of looking into it. But I think it worked out because Long Beach State, the year I transferred, uh, the you know, the, I'm sorry, the year before, the year I was supposed to transfer, they had three extremely talented pitchers. And I'm not sure I would have cracked that rotation. So it, uh, I, I think it was a blessing in disguise for sure. Um, but yeah, I had to miss out an entire season because of that. And I, I was actually just in Long Beach. I went to a Long Beach State, North Dakota game. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. I was looking at the banners up there and you got a banner. Do you ever go back to Long Beach State and kind of just, you know, say hello to anybody that you may know that's still there? Yeah, I, I try to make the alumni games, but I haven't been to one in a few years. Um, just, you know, it's hard with baseball. You're always busy. Um, but now that I've, I've stopped, um, I wanted to go the following season, but COVID happened, so couldn't go. And then COVID's been kind of lingering around, but I think, you know, things are freed up now and California isn't so strict. So uh, hopefully this, well, I think I just missed it or it's about to happen. I'm not sure. I haven't paid attention, but if the next one hasn't happened yet, I wouldn't mind going. If not for sure next year, um, but I need to do a better job of communicating with those guys. Um, I used to talk to Buckley all the time. We ran the program for a few years there, um, but he's no longer there. And I, I don't know the new guy yet, so I need to reach out and, and see how things are going out there. And you played with two absolute studs at Long Beach State. There's a few studs, but the two in particular, Tulowitzki and, and Evan Longoria, was it clear that those two guys were just better than everybody else? And it was it clear that they would be the, the obviously future studs at the big league level? Was it cool to kind of reunite also with Tulowitzki later on in Toronto? Yeah, uh, you, you could tell right away, especially with Tulo. Um, he, this guy was, he was the man, you know. Um, it's all you had heard about coming up. Uh, and once I was a teammate, I, I already knew who he was. I knew this guy was going to be a first-round pick. Um, and then you, you watch him play, and, and you know why the hype was there. Um, but as the season went on, we learned that Longoria was an extremely talented player also. Uh, but he 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 transferred from junior college also that year, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, great player, um, above you know head above everybody else, uh, just like Tulo. But if it wasn't for those two, if, if we weren't hit, if those two weren't hitting, uh, we weren't going to score very many runs that year. So it was good to have those guys on the team, and and it is crazy that one was you know third baseman, the other was a shortstop. So that left side was really solid over there in Long Beach State. And then getting, uh, yeah, and then uh, with the Blue Jays, uh, when Tulo got traded from Colorado, it was good to see him again. Uh, you know, same guy, didn't change. So it was great to be, uh, have him back behind you, you know, playing short, just an amazing player. 
And former giant John Bowker was on one of those teams too. Yeah, I didn't uh, – I actually didn't play with Bowker, but uh, I knew of him. And we had talked before, but, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get to play with him. Yeah, he might have been a few years before or a year or two before. Yeah. Um, and then – so you were drafted in the, in the sixth round in, in 2005 by the Nationals. I think that was their first draft ever, right, as the, right. As the Nationals. Uh, did you know anything about the, the franchise at the time? Obviously, you knew that they were formerly the Expos, but – what did you know at the time about the the Montreal or the not the Montreal the Washington Nationals because they were rather new, right? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know anything about them. Um, <laughs> you know, I was a big Dodger fan growing up. I, I knew West Coast teams, and uh, sorry, I know it's a, it's a Giants uh, station, but <laughs> this is growing up. I, I was a huge Dodger fan, um, so I didn't really pay attention to anything on the East Coast and. Most of the teams I was talking to uh, while I was at Long Beach State were out of the West Coast. So it was weird that one team I didn't really get to talk to was Washington. They ended up drafting me. Um, didn't know much, but I was just happy to be drafted. So it didn't matter by who. Now, where were you and what were you doing when you found out that you had gotten picked? So, I, yeah, I was home with uh, with my mom and we're watching the computer, the the we're watching the ticker go by and, and, you know, just naming kids off left and right. And, you know, I had heard a certain gap between uh, rounds that I'd be drafted in. And I think the, the highest I had heard was the fifth. And once the fifth round passed, I was really upset. So I said, you know what, forget this. I'll, I'll go back to college. If I have to, I walked away. My mom stayed on watching and rounds were passing by. I'm like, I can't believe I, I'm not getting drafted. And uh, I, she ends up telling me, oh, my God, I completely missed it. But you were like the second or third pick in the sixth round. So I'm like, oh, my God, I've been upset this whole time. I've already been drafted. I didn't even know. And then a few seconds later, I get a phone call uh, explaining that I just got drafted. But, yeah, it was kind of like a bittersweet moment. I was so angry <laughs> and upset that I wasn't drafted higher. But, you know, things worked out. Sixth round, that's not too bad. And it, I guess it, I guess you could say it took time for you to kind of establish yourself as a big league starter. Uh, I think the first time you threw over 100 innings in the big leagues was 2012 with with the Brewers. When when guys are up and down in the big leagues and are getting selected off waivers or moving from team to team, you know, I think as an as an outsider, many fans think it's it's a normal occurrence. But how much does it? How much does it? Uh, how much not? let me rephrase that. How much does it, does not being able to establish yourself kind of weigh on, on a player from a mental standpoint? Uh, it's, it's very draining. Um, and that's why, you know, a lot of GMs try not to bring up guys so young mm -hmm. so fast, because if they don't cut it the first few months, they'll get sent down and it is, it's taxing. It's, it's an experience. No one wants to go through um, most people most major leaguers have probably gone through it but it, it's it's tough being sent down um it happened to me and you know you get back down and you start second guessing yourself and you just negative thoughts running through your your head um so it is tough and it's tough to bounce back from that but i think the guys that get back up are the ones that are mentally strong um physically most of them have the ability to be, to be a major leaguer but it is that that mental aspect that uh, I think keeps major leaguers up there. Did you ever feel like you 
did you ever get to the point where you felt like you belonged or maybe like felt safe like maybe going yeah, into spring training um, every year and like not having to worry about uh making the team or anything like that right it took a while um even with the brewers i never felt like i had a job even though going through arbitration you know you, you get a, a pay raise and whatnot so you figured you're gonna have the job but there's always that what if um but I think once I got to the Blue Jays, and it wasn't even after my first season, it, it was, I think, 2016. So it was, this is much, much later in my career. That's when it finally felt like, okay, I, I, I think I can stop worrying about making a team. We're going to be okay. But, yeah, it took a very long time. And did you ever go to arbitration? I didn't. Uh, oh. One year I got close. And then just – last minute you know numbers went up or whatever and settled but because yeah, i always no, hear that that's like the worst experience <laughs> yeah well you know they're, they're gonna say some not so nice things about you I, all, all your negative flaws are they're gonna they're gonna comment on them so i'm sure it's not fun to hear um so I'm, I'm glad i didn't go through it but it, it would have been nice just i guess to see one but then i feel like i would have regretted it after hearing all the negative talk about me, you walked too many guys, or <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then from a pitching standpoint, what kind of started to click? What started to click? Yeah. So, like you know, you mentioned maybe after after going to Toronto, what kind of started to click from a pitching perspective uh, to make you realize that you know you were good enough to stay and feel a little bit more comfortable. Um. Yeah, well, I, th I think that's what – maybe it was the 2015 year, but it, it was halfway through the season where mentally I just felt better about myself. Uh, th that team gave me a lot of confidence, and I and it just – it pushed me to become even better, and I just felt like I was a much better player than, than I thought I was. Um, so, you know, I, I got, I was mentally strong, stronger than I was in Milwaukee, even though I probably had better stuff in Milwaukee, but for some reason it just, I had good years and I, but I just never felt like I was one of the guys. Um, and like I said, once again, getting traded to Toronto, those guys just uh, pushed me to get better and uh, made me feel a lot better about myself that, that I belong and, that I was a talented player. Um, so they just gave me a lot of confidence. And whenever I think of your career and, and you as a pitcher, and I think a lot of people will echo this, uh, I always think of the fact that you were the owner of an absolute filthy changeup. I mean, Marco Strata changeup, Marco Strata changeup. That's always what I would think. What was the key to throwing it? And, and how did that pitch kind of become a big weapon for you? Yeah, I didn't have anything else. So it was either that or <laughs> I'm going to give up a lot of runs, but, uh, yeah, it was in the minor leagues, just things. I didn't pitch very well in the minor leagues, um, at least early on in, in the first couple of years in, um, in the start of my minor league career. But uh, one day I was playing catch with with one of the uh, first round kid and he had a really good changeup. And I just asked him how he held it. And he showed me a normal four seam circle grip, nothing special. And I'd never really thrown a changeup. And I said, you know what, I'm going to start trying this because nothing else is working. Uh, so started throwing a changeup that day, 
uh, he told me, I got really positive feedback from it telling me, dude, this is, it's good. Like use it. Went out, pitched with it first day, had a really good outing. Um, and it just kind of stuck with me since. Yeah. But, uh, I don't, I don't ever think I thought about what I was doing with it. I just literally just grabbed the ball and threw it. Um, and the later I got into my career, I think I, I started realizing my lower half would just kind of shut down, but I would keep the same arm speed. And I think that's what sold my change of so much. Do you feel like your way of attacking hitters is maybe going extinct with, with everyone, you know, everyone's throwing 95, 96, even starting pitchers and um, with wipeout stuff, wipeout secondary stuff. Is there still room in the game for like finesse pitchers, you know, guys who are 88 to 92 with the fastball with some really good secondary stuff is, is that, are those days over? No, no way. They'll never be. <laughs> they'll, they'll always be those guys. There's guys that are probably still throwing 85 miles an hour and getting the job done. I, mm -hmm. I don't see those days ever going away. And, it, and you're right. Everybody is throwing 95 plus. Um, but I think, for hitters, you start getting used to that. It's a timing thing, right? It's always timing for hitters. You get someone the next day that's throwing 85 to 90, it's going to throw off their timing big time. So I don't think that'll ever go extinct. So I want to get your thoughts on a few of these uh, these, these issues here that were kind of talked about in the CBA uh, or in the new CBA. What do you think about the seven inning double headers? Cause I know that's something right now that they're trying. They, they said initially that they won't bring back for 2022. Now they're, you know, it's kind of trending back to more of a possibility. Where is your thoughts in terms of having those seven inning double headers? Yeah. When I was a player, that's, that's all we wished is seven inning double headers. I mean, two nine inning double headers. That's, that's a lot of game. You're there literally the entire day. You're exhausted for the next day. It's it's very taxing. So I I think two seven inning games make a lot of sense. Um, not sure why they haven't gone to it yet, but hopefully it does happen. I think the players would really appreciate it. And I, you had some time in the National League. You've had some uh, some big league plate appearances. What about the DH? Yeah, that one. Uh, I I actually just heard about it the other day. Um, I know there's guys that pitchers that consider themselves to be hitters. So I know they're upset, uh, but for a guy like me that had back issues and literally couldn't swing a bat, um, I would have been really happy to have that. But I know there's guys out there. I like to swing the bat. So it's, and I used to like watching that, um, but it was always dis disadvantage being an American league player because you face nine actual hitters. Whereas uh, National League, you you would have the pitcher, and sometimes the pitcher wasn't the greatest hitter. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I haven't really thought about it too much. And and did you you played with Zach Cranky, right? That's one of the better hitting yeah. pitchers in the game. Yeah. I mean, he probably took his craft really seriously, huh? Oh, very, very. Him and Giovanni Gallardo. That oh year, yeah, they were together. They, yeah, they competed to see who was the better hitter. They were both really good. And obviously, I think another big topic is the shift and uh, hitters, you know, I guess they're either told to just hit the ball the other way and then hitters are complaining. So what is your take on, on the shift? Did you like the shift behind you? Is that something that you could give or take with? So for me, I, 
I'd rather get beat on. Well, how do I put this? So I, I didn't care for it too much. I hated getting weak contact to, let's say, where the shortstop's supposed to be, and it goes through, it gets through. I hated that. Absolutely hated it. I'd rather someone hit a rocket up the middle and no one's there because they're playing their positions. So for me, I, I, I didn't like to shift too much, and I'm sure it helped out a lot. Um, they do it for a reason, and there, there's data behind it. So the numbers show they should play a certain way, but I didn't care for it too much. I felt like a lot of times I'd fool someone with the changeup and everybody's on the right side of the field. And this guy hits it off the end of the bat and it's going to third base, you know, routine ground ball and ends up being a double. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't my favorite thing. And soon we'll get to see second baseman's being athletic again. And we don't have to, you know, cause right now nobody's diving on the infield because yeah. everybody's already where they're supposed to be. So yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll get to see that soon. Um, and then finally, obviously, you played for Team Mexico twice in the WBC uh, in 2013 and 2017. What did that mean no, to you? Just oh, just once? Yeah. So what did that mean to you to kind of represent your country? Oh, it meant a lot. Um, I wish I would have done better for them. I didn't pitch very well that day. Um, but, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of great teammates that – uh, were there and got to meet a lot of good guys. Um, one of them I still talk to, Romo. He, he incredible competitor. Uh, just the guy's pitched forever. He's had a great career. Very proud of him. Um, but yeah, it, it was an experience. It was a lot of fun. It meant the world to be able to play for your country. Um, again, I, I, that year that I played, we we should have gone further. We had a really good team and. Um, my game, I didn't pitch very well. And we had another game where we should have lost. Uh, but, you know, errors happened and it's the way it goes. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a great time. Again, got to meet a lot of people, great people. And, and we had a blast. And, and finally, out of, again, as I mentioned before, out of the game for a few years now, what's going on with you now? What's any, any plans for the future? Anything going on? No, not right now. It's been what two years now, two seasons I've I've missed, and I've I've been happy just being part of the family. You know, it's it, you're gone for eight months out of the year, and once the kids are in school, you don't really see them until they're back in summer, um, off for the summer. But yeah, I've been been able to hang out with them. You know, my daughter plays volleyball, and my son plays soccer. So getting to do those things that I've missed out on for so many years, it, it's meant the world to me. It's been so much fun. Um, I don't really do much other than I still work out. Uh, I like to go work out a few times a week and then, uh, I play around in golf once a week, but back can only take so much. So I try to get at least one round a weekend. Um, and then dealing with this house just been three years of construction and it's finally done. So I've had a lot on my plate the last few years and, uh, um, but yeah, it's been a blast. Uh, we'll, we'll see in a few more. Uh, maybe if I get bored or something, I'll, uh, once the kids are older and they're off doing their own thing, maybe go back to coach or try coaching or something. But right now I'm, I'm very happy with everything, the way things are going and, and golf. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I love that. How you said, yeah, I get to be a dad and golf. <laughs> the right, two, yeah. the two great things going on in your life. <laughs> it's the only, you know, you, you're a husband, you're married, you're happy and, and the kids and your father and, 
you, you enjoy all that stuff. But other than that, I, I literally have nothing else going on but golf. Yeah. Married, dad, golf. That's it oh. right there. <laughs> that is it. Anyways, Marco, I appreciate the time and uh, I appreciate you joining me. Steven, thank you so much for having me. And of course, all of you guys at home, kid, uh, listen to the podcast on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. So go check that out as well. Thank you for listening and see you next time.